Remember the good old days before Microsoft Word had autosave? You'd type up some important document and then your computer would freeze and you'd lose hours of work just because you forgot to hit save? Well, that's what it's like going online without ExpressVPN. Every time you're connected to an unencrypted network, whether it's in an airport, a hotel, a cafe, or anywhere, your online data is not secure. Any person on that same network who knows what they're doing can gain access to your personal data. Bank logins, credit card details, passwords, all the stuff you don't want people seeing. Unfortunately, hacking has become much easier than it used to be. People don't even have to be exceptionally skilled to do it, and there's a lot of money to be made by selling your information on the dark web. ExpressVPN stops hackers from stealing your data by creating a secure, encrypted tunnel between your device and the internet. It's incredibly easy to use. Once the app is running, you literally click one button to get protected. And it works on your phone, laptop, tablet, and more, so you can stay protected on the go. I've been using ExpressVPN for a little while now, and I can rest easy knowing my info is safe and secure. I've heard horror stories of people who've been hacked, and it sounds like a massive pain to try to get any resolution in the aftermath, so I am not interested in finding out what that process is like. Secure your online data today by visiting expressvpn.com slash slashfilm. That's E-X-P-R-E-S-S-V-P-N dot com slash slashfilm, and you can get an extra three months free. expressvpn.com slash slashfilm. Hello, everyone, and welcome to Slash Film Daily for Wednesday, February 9th, 2022. On today's episode, we're going to discuss the Book of Boba Fett, Chapter 7, In the Name of Honor. We're going to have a spoiler-filled discussion. This is Slash Film Editorial Director Peter Soretta, and joining me on today's podcast is Slash Film Editor Brad Oman. Hey, that's me. And Star Wars expert and the guy that writes our weekly review on SlashFilm.com, Brian Young. I'm just thrilled to be here. Okay, before we get into the book of Boba Fett, some news just dropped, and I thought we should uh, address it. We'll, we'll, let's talk about the elephant in the room. So Disney has announced a, pre- pre- eh, a premiere date for Obi-Wan Kenobi on Disney+. Plus. This is the new limited series, and it's going to be coming out in May 25th, 2022. I mean, it's been rumored for a little while that it might be coming out in May. I think some fans thought maybe it would be, you know, come out on May the 4th, which is a Wednesday. But it's coming out later that month and strangely the day before Star Wars Celebration. Brian, what do you make of this? Uh, well, I think for one, May 25th is the real Star Wars Day. Um, at least if you ask me. I don't know. I, I always thought May the 4th was a little silly. Um, and May 25th was the day we should be doing that. But having it come out, having an Obi-Wan Kenobi series that is a bridge between the prequels and the classic uh, series come out on the 45th anniversary makes a lot of sense and if there's something huge in that first episode that they can actually talk about something at star wars celebration um it makes a lot of sense for them to do that i mean granted they could have walked it back a few more weeks and we could have talked about more but uh maybe those surprises are something that they wouldn't want to talk about it at celebration brad are you excited to watch more of tatooine on the big on uh, your small screen Oh, for sure. Um, but I mean, I <laughs> I'd be willing to bet we're not going to stay on Tatooine very long. Yeah, it's it's funny. I think I said it in an earlier episode of uh, this podcast. But if you had told me a year ago that there was going to be these two series, the Book of Boba Fett and the Obi Wan Kenobi series, I would have guessed that Obi Wan Kenobi would be all set in Tatooine, and the Book of Boba Fett would get get off planet like in Episode One. But I'm guessing it's going to be the latter. It's going to be, I mean, the former. So, uh, okay, uh, let's get into our 
our actual discussion of the finale of the Book of Boba Fett season one. And uh, we do that in four segments. We get to your feedback first. You can write your feedback to us at peter.slashfilm.com. We go to our brief reactions, into our breakdown of the episode, and end with speculation. So uh, a couple things we learned since last week's episode. So I mentioned that there was this crest on the wall uh, in the scene where Order 66 was going on and Grogu was... You know, there was three Jedis that got killed while uh, Grogu was like, you know, in hiding or whatever. Um, well, it, we identified that crest as Ferris Ophi's crest. And that was something that was on Wikipedia. That's something that I found many places across the Internet. You know, I never try, I never use Wikipedia as a source. I always thought Wikipedia was a good source. But after uh, this was reported on this podcast and on SlashFilm.com and on many uh, sites across the internet, the Wikipedia article has since been renamed Unidentified Crest. Um, I mean, it does look like the tattoos on her face. So, I mean, is it her? Brian, what do you make of this? My best guess is that um, we didn't get a lot of scenes on on the Clone Wars of the various quarters of the Jedi. And my guess is there was an episode where Barris was there and we saw that we glimpsed that crest. Um, and it was something that was a design for um, uh, it was intended for everything. And because Wikipedia was like, oh, that's Barris's room. Clearly, this is Barris's. Um, and someone probably. And this is someone probably tipped them off to say like, I was going to say, it also resembles the tattoos on her face, like the square tattoos. So I think there was a connection there as well. Yeah. And, and I, my guess is somebody, somebody from Lucasfilm probably tipped them off to say like, Hey, it doesn't have anything to do with Barris. It's probably something else. Um, it, it, it's something that's on all of these or something. And they probably showed them some bit of, obscurity somewhere else that that sort of backed that story up and they they probably changed it um i know wikipedia is not by any means official and i mean having done official star wars stuff and needing to use wikipedia as a reference it's always you know trust but verify and uh you know who 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 knows what they could have been told uh, yeah. To change that, but I'm assuming someone from Lucasfilm stepped in and said something, even as just as a courtesy. Yeah, it sounds about right. Um, speaking of the official StarWars.com data bank, some people have pointed out that the the planet I'm going to probably pronounce this wrong, like I pronounce anything, everything in Star Wars wrong. Agent Kloss, is that correct? Agent Agent Kloss, yeah. So this is the planet we saw in Rise of Skywalker. It's like that forest planet. And a lot of people have pointed out that somewhere it's mentioned. Actually, I, I think it might even be mentioned in, in the databank entry that uh, it That's became a training. Yeah, it became yeah. a training ground for the uh, Jedi Luke Skywalker. So is this the planet that we saw Grogu on? I don't believe so. Um, Agent Kloss is, we know that that's where he trained Leia. Um, and there's nothing that's told us that that the the planet that he had his academy on and Agent Kloss are the same. And they've been specifically cagey about it. I want to say, though, that that doesn't mean 
Luke's Academy can't be on Agent Kloss. It means <laughs> that to this point, they have given us no indication or, or proof that it is. And I think that means they reserve the right to make it Agent Kloss or not make it Agent Kloss at their leisure, uh, depending on what storytelling they want to do in the future. So I don't. I honestly don't believe there's a there's a definitive answer about that until we get future storytelling that would dictate that one way or the other. Last week on the podcast, we Brad and I were particularly annoyed by Luke Skywalker's voice and how it sounded emotionless. Uh, we have since found out the answer to that. Brad, why does Luke Skywalker sound like an emotionless robot? Robot. Uh, well, because it basically is an emotionless robot. Uh, Mark Hamill didn't actually do the voice acting for the uh, young Luke Skywalker. Um, so there was no voice manipulation of Mark Hamill's acting going down. Instead, uh, it's basically a piece of software that has a bunch of Mark Hamill's younger voice work uh, from reading various things from archival footage, basically a bunch of different stuff that they could get their hands on. And they figured out a way to create uh, an AI system that they can use to artificially create these lines in the voice of a young Mark Hamill. <laughs> I, I mean, things like this are going to get better. So, I mean, I'm sure eventually, like, you know, Luke did not look great in Mandalorian season two, and he looks amazing here. Like, I think it set the bar for, you know, these kind of CG characters in, in TV. Um, but uh, I think they, they have some work to do on, on, on the voice. Well, that and also, I just don't know how I feel about this because I'm sure their big motivation is that it's probably, it would probably be expensive to pay Mark Hamill to do voiceover work like this whenever they want Luke Skywalker to show up. Um, but well, he, some- he, he did get credit though, so they're, they he, must and- be paying him. And let's be honest, like if DC can pay him to be the Joker at any time they want, Lucasfilm could pay him to do the Mandalorian. Yeah. And so that's that's my thing is like, you know, just he's a he's a talented voice actor. Just just let him do it or at the very least, let him do it and then use audio technology to manipulate it if you need to alter the pitch or the sound so that it sounds more like young Luke Skywalker, because it just feels a little bit icky to know that like we have the ability now to create voices from archival recordings and basically make them say whatever we want them to. Yeah. It's also weird that Mark Hamill's getting a credit for, I assumed that he had provided the voice. I didn't, uh, I did not know that it was all created by computer. So he wasn't on set. Uh, there was a double playing him. And then the voice is created by a computer. And obviously like they're using computers to, I guess, almost, I don't want to say deep fake because I know it's a completely different technology that's being used than what you see on online on uh, TikTok for like, deep fakes and stuff like that. But, uh, you know, what appears to my eyes is a deep fake of, of Mark Hamill. So is, is he basically getting credit in a payday just for them using his looks? And I'm also wondering, is that is that a SAG requirement at this point? Yeah, it probably has something to do with his likeness rights and things like that, where he has to be credited yeah. if his image is being used. Okay, the next one, I uh, we got an email from Nate from Grand Rapids, Michigan. And uh, Brad, I want you to answer this one. I thought this might be a good one for you. Uh, Nate writes in, do you think Mayor Makshai's name is a homage to the old McDonald's mascot, Mayor McCheese? <laughs> Oh man, that's hilarious. I hadn't thought of that, but now I, I genuinely hope that that's true because that is hilarious. 
Uh, Nate also says they're mouser, also kind of similar. So uh, Matthew F. writes in, he says on the podcast, you asked why Ahsoka went to see Luke. I'm speculating that it's for the hunt for Thrawn that led Ahsoka there. I think Ahsoka has figured out that Gideon is working for Thrawn or was working for Thrawn and has heard that Gideon is now being held by the New Republic, though or through this, she finds out about Gideon capturing and holding onto Grogu. So she seeks Grogu to talk, quote unquote, however she communicates with him, about the time on Gideon's light cruiser to help put together the pieces about Thrawn. And that's what brought her there. Um, but the, the other thing that Matthew says is uh, Thrawn's involvement with the cloning is hinted at at the end of the Bad Batch. As the Bad Batch ends with the Empire packing up and moving all the cloning equipment and scientists from Kamino to a large base inside the mountain. The mountain base was later confirmed by StarWars.com as Mount Tantus. Yeah, so Mount Tantus was something that um, Timothy Zahn put together in the Heir to the Empire books. This was the, in the Legends canon, this is the facility where like Joris Sibayoth, um, which is... Tim Zahn's pronunciation of that, I asked him, um, where he had been cloned and, and that was sort of the facility there that they had used and had been referenced as something that had to do with the Clone Wars. So them trotting it back out for the Bad Batch and putting the 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 Kaminoan scientists there with the Imperial science officers really heavily hinted that they were putting them on a direction where they were going to be doing these special cloning projects. And I think it hints to the stuff that Gideon had on his ship, absolutely, that felt very much like it was also related to Palpatine's cloning and Snoke. So, so they, you- they they tied all that up with Bad Batch and and um and Mandalorian. Do you think that's something that we're gonna further explore in the Mandalorian verse? I, I think so. I think that they wouldn't have put so much emphasis on Mount Tantus specifically because you have that tantalizing uh, uh, hint of Grand Admiral Thrawn, and then you've connected it with something that is so integral to his original appearance and story in the Legends canon, like Mount Tantus. And it feels like we're heading, it, it maybe it's too big of a tease, but maybe we are heading to some version of heir to the empire where Thrawn comes back with an Imperial remnant. And maybe, maybe this is an animated series we're going to get or something. Who knows? Hmm. Uh, Do you, do you guys think that Ahsoka's visit to Luke Skywalker is what, um, who was it here? Matthew suggests, like, do you think we're going to see the other side of this visit in the Ahsoka show? Nobody I has mean, any, <laughs> any anything is possible. I, I hate saying that, but like, I think we talked about. I think but, we uh, talked about Brian, this. If you had to put money on it, if I was like hundred dollars, you have to put it on. She's. We're not going to see the other side of this visit in Ahsoka, or we will. Which I which would? I would put money on that. We're not going to see the other side of the visit per se, but we will understand the reasoning and the context of the visit. Like that will be made apparent to us, even if we don't see the the other side of it fair enough um yeah i I think that'd probably be better off that way so that we're not revisiting scenes like we have been in this series uh gave t writes in grogu is a descendant of yoda 
or I guess his theory is Grogu is a descendant of Yoda. Why would three uh, Jedis be standing to protect him when all the other young Padawans were left alone in a room only to be found by Vader and massacred? Uh, Grogu is further along than we think. I think Grogu is going to be a huge part of the future of Star Wars. Brad, what do you think? Is is Grogu a descendant of Yoda? Um, I think it's probably too early to say and like that would go along the lines of being quite an extreme coincidence if he was you know i mean the galaxy is already small enough that would be yet another thing that makes it even smaller and there's there's plenty of uh you know species out there although we've only ever seen uh, a couple species like yoda um such as yaddles so i mean it's it's possible but i just feel like that would not not be great it also doesn't seem to gel with the the no attachments of the Jedi Order. Like I don't think. Well, there's there's this idea too that like there are some duties that one has. Like if if think about endangered pandas, right? I think you see where I'm going with this, right? Like if if the perpetuation of Yoda's species required him to do something like that, you don't need to have an attachment to participate in a repopulation effort <laughs> plus I, when I, I i feel like too that maybe i don't know if there was some kind of like lineage there you would think that maybe yoda would think he should go save that little guy when order 66 went down i i don't get the impression that it was three jedi protecting grogu specifically i got the impression that it was a group of jedi backed into a corner yeah um, and, and I think that Yoda, if it was really like, yeah, I, I think if Yoda had, had even known of Grogu's existence or thought that he was still around, he would have gone after him or sent Ahsoka after him or something because he had contact with other Jedi off of Dagobah during that entire time. Yeah. I mean, even now Luke talks to Yoda, right. Or in this time. Presumably. Yeah. So you would think that, you know, I mean, he might mention that he had a kid or something like that that might still be alive. Um, yeah, I, I tend to agree with you that it just seems like they're backed into a corner. But it does seem weird to me that Grogu is not in the same room as all the other Padawans. So I don't know. Uh, Tony writes in, he says, love the podcast. The last two episodes being Mando episodes was a great creative way to surprise Always speculating Star Wars and always speculating Star Wars fan base. I'm really surprised at the reaction online as if it was some kind of strange error. Brain-busting, completely subversive storytelling is what he calls it. He says, I can imagine the creators being so excited to stupefy the audience. What a lovely surprise. So we've seen a lot of criticism of the last two episodes being, you know, that they're more Mando episodes than Book of Boba Fett episodes. Is it is it a fair criticism and why? I mean, it's just because, it, it, again, it's not that the episodes aren't good, but it's just it feels so disjointed from the story that was being told in the preceding episodes, you know, and it feels like it's um, we've said this before, the Mandalorian season 2.5, where they're just doing setup for another season of the Mandalorian. And so. I think that's the biggest issue is like as, as big of a surprise as it is, it interrupts the storytelling that was there for Boba Fett and feels like it comes out of left field. And even though that's satisfying because we want to see Mandalorian and we like Mandalorian and what's going on with him, 
it still makes for a pretty messy season for a Boba Fett TV show. Yeah, I think when you want to tell a story, you generally want to tell a beginning, middle, and end, and you want to keep uh, the main characters or the main ensemble characters in focus the entire time, and you want to have an arc and a conclusion, and I think... Um, and this might go to my brief reaction here, but I think if you were to have a kid with his Star Wars action figures and you were to tell him, tell me a story with the Star Wars action figures, he would start telling you the story of, you know, Ray, and then all of a sudden Luke Skywalker comes in and now it's about Luke Skywalker and they go off to this planet and then, oh no, back over here, right? Like it, it would be all over the place. And it, generally that's not good storytelling. I don't... I'm not sure if it was supposed to be like subversive to I, what do you think, Brian? I don't think it's supposed to be subversive. I think it's the fact that the now that I look at the whole thing as as one, it really feels like this was a story point for the Mandalorian and they saw an opportunity to expand it further and throw more more money at it to give us more attention on Boba Fett as well. And tell this cool story to, to clean up Tatooine and, and fix these things, but really propel the story of the Mandalorian. And I think as we get more of these spinoff shows that spin out of the Mandalorian, and this is something Bob Iger said at that, at that earnings call, right? That like, these were going to be things that spin out of the Mandalorian all of those shows, that entire ecosystem of shows that, it's almost like they've prepared us now to look at these shows as direct tie-ins and continuations of that story rather than side quests for better or for worse. Like I do agree that Boba Fett probably deserved a more direct start to finish story um, that, that offered something. We'll get into that more. I'm sure as we talk, because I definitely have some thoughts about what this says as a whole, but it will hit differently the way I think like, Avengers Age of Ultron hits differently now when you go back and rewatch it, where when you saw it in at the beginning, you know, when it came out, you were like, eh, I don't know, this this felt a little lackluster. But as you realize that it's a cog in a much larger machine, it functions really well as that cog. And I think that's where we're going to kind of end up with Boba Fett years from now, where it's not subversive. It's just them telling this big, sprawling story in this era and it needed to hit those notes as much as it for their purposes later down the line, as much as it did for Boba Fett. And I think that does give Boba Fett short shrift a little bit, but um, they gave him plenty of satisfying stuff to, to sate our thirst to kind of make up for it. Maybe, I don't know. Yeah. I, you know, I've been a person that's been defending this. Like, you know, Brian, you were the first person I heard that to bring up, you know, this is the book of Boba Fett. And when we had that Mandalorian chapter, I was uh, like the idea that, you know, this chapter could follow a different person and the next chapter comes more into the story. And then we had two chapters of that and it felt more of an aside than it did like its own, you know, separate chapter, if that makes sense. But I was still defending it last week saying, I don't care because these two episodes have been great Star Wars. And at the end of the day, that's why I watch this show. That's why I am a Star Wars fan is to see good Star Wars. 
Um, and I was, I was kind of like, you know what, we don't know how this is going to end. Maybe this is all going to tie together in a way that makes sense to take this break with Mandalorian and, uh, will Grogu help this fight or not? Like is maybe that will be come to a satisfying conclusion. And I I do think those, I, I do think those two episodes were required in order to get us to the conclusion that we got, like those pieces needed to make sense for us to get that conclusion, which is why I almost feel like they went to the conclusion and then worked backwards from there. I guess I am okay. I think I'm more okay with the Mandalorian being in this than Grogu because it doesn't seem like Grogu needed to be in this finale, but we can get to that when we get to it. Uh, let's start off with our brief reactions of this episode. Brad, why don't we start with you? Um, so I think that there's a lot of really cool stuff in this episode. Uh, the action in particular is pulled off very well. Uh, it's kind of a nonstop um, thrill ride in, in that way. It's it's really a full-fledged, meaty finale. Um, but I don't think that there's a lot done with regards to character work for Boba Fett. And I think that the overall conclusion for the entire season and for the story that he's involved in was largely disappointing. Um, We will get into the nitty gritty and the specifics of that once we get to the end of this episode. But suffice to say, I don't think it went anywhere nearly as exciting as we anticipated. And even though sometimes it's not fair to criticize something based on your, uh, expectations yeah expectations or or predictions i think that there are some things that needed to happen in this episode and i didn't necessarily care who or what was involved but it wasn't taken to a place that allowed for a satisfying conclusion that felt like it had any emotional or narrative weight to it yeah i i don't know this wasn't bad um i think this is a decent episode but somehow in the at the end of the day it felt underwhelming for me um i think it's because it doesn't surprise us in any unique way and i don't mean by surprise that like some cameo that we heard might happen is going to happen like i i mean that could be a surprise but that's not what i'm necessarily talking about it's i think if you had asked me what's going to happen in this episode and I was going to give you like the most obvious description of what's going to happen. I would have given you almost every, beat by beat what happens in this episode. Like it doesn't seem clever or uh, it doesn't subvert my expectations in any way. And there's a lot of action in this. I, I'm not going to agree with you, Brad, that it's good action. It's not fun or inventive most of the times. It, t- to me, it's just action for action sake and uh I think, that, I think that's fair i just had fun with it yeah yeah um but i think what you said is, is the is the good point is because it concentrates so heavily on the action it's what gets hurt at the end of the day is the plot there's no plot or character really here and um i don't know the mandalorian to me felt like a kid playing with his star wars toys in his backyard in the best possible sense and the book of Boba fett to me kind of feels like the opposite <laughs> you know what i mean a kid playing with the star wars go- uh, toys in the backyard in the probably not the best possible way um robert rodriguez directed 
the three worst episodes of this show. And I, I, I think everybody would agree on that. I don't, I don't think there's, I, I know I have an opinion on Robert Rodriguez, but like, I, I, I like he was the director of that one with that chase sequence that everybody uh, hated. He was the director of the, the pilot. Not everybody. Episode. I liked that sequence. <sighs> okay, Brian. <laughs> um, I don't know. I just, I have nothing. Like, you know what? I, I, I want, I, I said this on Twitter. You know, I, I don't want to like hate on any creator. It, it's hard to create things. It's hard to make things and uh, not just make things, but make good things. And I can't even imagine what it's like to direct a live action uh, Star Wars or, you know, any Star Wars movie or TV show. I can't imagine the pressure that it takes to do something like that. Um and even, you know, finish it and make it look like a polished thing. Uh, like uh, Dave, my friend Dave Chen says, that, you know, the, the fact that anything gets made is an, a, a high high achievement. But uh, coming off this show, I, I I really would be happy if Robert Rodriguez decided not to direct more Star Wars. <laughs> um, I don't know. I, maybe, maybe that's um, a little mean. And I apologize for it to be mean. But I, I really... Uh, not that the writing is great on the show. I don't think the writing has been great, but I feel like when you look at episode two of the show or the episodes that he didn't direct, um, even though the writing isn't amazing, it was elevated by the direction. And here it just feels like someone that came in and I don't know. There's nothing inventive about the action. There's nothing exciting about the action. It doesn't feel plussed up by the, the creator at the the helm of this, but I, I mean, maybe I'm being too harsh on Robert. So what, what do you think, uh, Brian? I, I think, I, I mean, I think to, to your point, I think the writing is the, the bigger issue than the directing. I think he delivered what he was asked to deliver as far as the writing asked for. I think this episode had a lot of really, I liked the action quite a bit in this. I really loved sort of the, um, the classic, film uh, of course i liked the classic film that it brought uh references that it brought to the action um and i really liked some of the touchstones of the other parts of the story ultimately book of boba fett in whole fell a little flat for me just because we had a significant change in boba fett that didn't really get explored and then felt very undone by the ending um but having said that, some of my favorite imagery in Star Wars was in this episode. Um, I really love some of the stuff we saw in this episode. So uh, I, I think although the storytelling left a little bit to be desired, um, I'll take the the you know Star Wars at an eight out of ten or a, a seven out of ten over you know a Transformers movie any day of the week. For sure. And uh, I want you to bring up what you're talking about um, later in the episode when we get to it of how uh, his story becomes undone, because I'm curious to hear about that. Okay. Um, but uh, before, uh, does anybody else or do either of you have anything more to say in brief reaction before we get into the breakdown? Let's just do the breakdown. Let's, let's just get into it. Okay. Uh, so this episode begins with Fennec and Boba surveying the destruction at the sanctuary and it. It, it literally looks like a bomb blew up in this cantina. Uh, Mando 
uh, informs him that he got Cobb Vanth to, to raise a garrison for them in exchange for shutting down the spice trade. Uh, terms that Boba Fett ag- agrees with because he thinks it's going to be good for the people. Um, so they, I think even Fennec says it here, the spice trade makes up for most of Jabba's former business. So if they if they forego the spice trade, how how are they expecting to survive on Tatooine? Um, you know, waifs on the street handing them Melu runs. <laughs> Fair enough. Okay. Um, okay. Instead of locking down uh, at the at Boba Fett's palace, like Jabba might have done, they decide to stay downtown with the people. And uh, I got to say, I was right and I was wrong. The Jawas do appear in this episode, but they're just scavenging on the street and they don't really help with the fight at all. And uh, we see them scavenging parts as, uh, of a speeder bike or, or speeder yes, of something as Cad Bane arrives at the Pike's hideout. So the mayor is there and guys, I knew it. He wasn't on vacation. Uh, we, we learned that the Pikes killed the Tuscan Raider tribe and uh, framed the bikers. Another mark on the bingo card. Uh, does this, uh, should we look down upon Boba Fett at this point? Because he mercilessly took out this gang of bikers for no reason. I mean, sure, they were bad people, but did they deserve to die? It's like, it, it's like, I mean, in Star Wars, it seems like, you know, hey, this biker gang that's marauding the town, like, no one cares what reason you have for getting rid of them because they're marauding the towns. Okay, fair, fair enough. Uh, I mean, if you're uh, looking, at, if you're looking at like Western standards, right? Like, if if you're looking at, they're a group of cowboys, right? Like if we're if we're going to the western and we're we're taking the view of the Tuscans as the the pressed upon indigenous folks that had been wiped out and harassed by them for a long time. Um do you care that the bad guys in that case get get their comeuppance whether they were responsible for this particular crime or not? Yeah, I I I I guess you make a good point. Um, I'm just not sure if they deserve to be slaughtered in the way that they did. <laughs> but, um, you know, I would use the word assassinated from behind without any, any, <laughs> any, any, any like they, they weren't even aware. So I don't know. But they okay. knew what they did. I'm not going to defend them because they seem like they were bad people. But, <laughs> but it does, I think. It does shine a different light on that whole situation in my mind, especially with you know Fennec telling him she didn't think they they did it. So um, maybe the lesson here is he he should learn he should listen more to Fennec. So uh, okay, so the mayor doesn't want to see more destruction to the city, but the Pikes say it will be necessary, and it's clear who's in charge here. So Cad Bane says that he has an idea of how to dr- draw Boba Fett out, and with that we cut to the chapter card chapter seven in the name of honor every week i like to annoy brian by asking him what 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 the title represents for this episode so what does the title in the name of honor represent for this episode to you brian you know if i were annoyed i wouldn't keep coming back (laughs) um no i mean 
the name of honor is is uh I mean, I think it refers to the Mandalorian Creed. It refers to what Boba Fett holds himself to. I think it refers to the final duel. Um, it refers to the responsibility that people have uh, to coming back to helping out that honor that uh, the people of Freetown have that honor. I think that Grogu has learned to come back. Um, you know, I, I think it, it sort of applies to everyone that on some level, what they're doing boils down to some honorable notion that they have, which is weird for a group of criminals. Yeah. I guess it's not weird because you look at like, you know, Scorsese mob movies, they all have some code of honor. Right. And it's, it's endemic in, in samurai movies too. And, and Westerns and everybody, even if they're unscrupulous are scrupulous to a degree in what their honor dictates. So I guess it's pretty standard Western fare, I guess. I, I would agree it's odd because they even have that popular saying, there's no honor amongst thieves. So, so I mean, yeah. Um, okay. So after the title card and uh, well, well done, Brian, uh, I'm glad that you, you caught the, the Freetown stuff. I think most people would just think that the honor is about the, you know, Mandalorian, not, you know, shying away. Um, or, you know, yeah, the, the the more obvious stuff here. So uh, after after the title card, an X-wing lands in Pelimoto's hangar. Brad, did you have any thought when you saw the X-wing landing that Luke Skywalker had returned to Tatooine? Um, for a second, but then you know, basically as soon as it landed, I was like, I, I just couldn't picture what an interaction uh, between. Luke Skywalker (laughs) Um, and uh, yeah that character would look like so I was like ah there's no way it's just going to be Grogu sitting in that cockpit and and R2's the one flying that that X-Wing yeah that was a smart way of handling that because after we talked last week I was wondering I was like how does Grogu even get back to Tatooine if he decides to choose you know the best car armor or whatever but now we have the answer. Um, so Skywalker sent R2 to navigate Grogu back to his Papa Mando. And even though Mando thinks, or even even though um, uh, Pelimoto here, uh, she even thinks that Grogu is a terrible name. And she's she doesn't have a nickname for him yet, but I'm, I'm guessing in Mando season three, we'll, have, we'll hear her nickname for Grogu. Maybe it'll be Baby Yoda. She'll be like, there once was this Jedi. Um, <laughs> uh Okay, I, I guess right now we should take the this moment to discuss. Like, were either of you surprised that he made this choice? No, I think we talked about last week how there's there's not really much of an interesting story to tell with Grogu if he stays with Luke, and the more interesting story and in and you know what they want to focus on is the relationship between Mando and Grogu, and so this is basically how it had to go down. And and even looking at the references that. Um, the film references that it makes with Luke spreading the stuff out on the uh, on the floor for him, like Lone Wolf and Cub, like the Cub doesn't pick the life of peace, right? Like they're referencing specifically him choosing that life of violence. Yeah, yeah. Um, and one thing we also didn't mention last week uh, that someone tweeted at me, I don't have their name right here, but 
uh, in the Kylo Ren comics, it actually said that Ben Solo was the first student of Luke Skywalker's new Jedi Academy. So uh, that probably gave away that Grogu was not going to be uh, the first member, especially since uh, Ben Solo is, I don't know, one or two years old at this point, maybe. Who knows? <laughs> um, I mean, Ben Ben was born uh, about a year, a little bit less than a year after the Battle of Endor. Um, and there's two conflicting there's two conflicting uh, reports about when Leia conceived Ben. Um, there's one where they think it's right outside of uh, the battle, right? <laughs> yeah. Um, which is Han's story, which is just like it was on Endor, it was yeah. celebratory on Endor. And then Leia's story was like, no, it was on the Falcon, you know, a few weeks later or months later or whatever, they were out on a mission and it was in the Falcon. And that was, that was the story that Leia uh, offered. And to be honest, I'd probably trust Leia over Han um, just generally. Um, but, and it also depends on how, far into the timeline this really is um we don't know for sure and we've talked about this how how it could be three to seven years after uh uh, return of the jedi which means that ben can be between two and six yeah by the and by the way even if ben was the first student in his skywalker academy i think technically they could have gotten around that and clever ways of oh the academy had not been built yet do you know what i mean like so there, there there's ways of getting around that um but uh okay l- 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 let's move on uh moto has the droids bring grogu some dung worms which the child hungrily slurps into his mouth have we seen these before dung worms you know i didn't even think to look um i don't recall hearing them but it sounds like such a star warsy thing that i didn't even blink at it i have the answer for you here brian uh Uh, this is this is kind of a deep dive reference and very fitting for this area so i'm I'm guessing like when john favreau is writing something about tatooine and he's like you know what kind of creatures can gorgu eat then like lucasfilm story group provides him with a list of things that they've established right I'm guessing that's how it works, maybe. Um, so this first appeared in the Phantom Menace video game, where Qui-Gon... <laughs> oh, my Qu- God. <laughs> yeah. uh, where Qui-Gon Jinn discovered at a Bith merchant selling them in Mos Espa, and as a result, he he ate them, and he acquired a stench, which was noted by snide remarks from people he encountered afterwards. And then it was mentioned in a couple other video games and never appeared again until... Until now, so. <laughs> but I'm guessing so, because it was an yeah. on Ma- Mos Espa, you know, that's it was probably on that list or something. Yeah, no, or I mean, that's exactly the kind of weird stuff swirling around Pablo's brain. Yeah. Okay, so Cad Bane shows up at the sanctuary to negotiate for the Pikes and has like the standoff against Fett. Uh, Fett isn't interested, so. Basically, Bane plays his trump card here. He says, uh, don't expect Freetown to show up because he took out Cobb Vanth already. And he reveals that the Pikes were the ones that massacred Fett's Tuscan family. And Fett is pissed. But Fennec 
is able to rightfully talk him down. Um, what, what, what did you, what did you make of this whole situation? Is this supposed to show some growth in him or, or what? Um, I think it, it definitely is. Um, I think the situation with Boba and Cad Bane is they're really relying on, it felt like all of the character growth or character moments that I felt had resonance in this episode that I'm, I would, I wonder if, if you had them, Brad came from knowledge of the clone wars and the Cad Bane that interacted with Boba Fett or the Boba Fett that Cad Bane interacted with most on that show was a hothead who would like get into a fight no matter what and just, you know, stumble into that stuff. And this showed a restraint and a, um, uh, a change in their relationship. If you chart out all of the appearances of Cad Bane and Boba Fett together, Cad Bane thinks that he's goading Boba in a way that's absolutely going to work. And so him not taking that bait is a huge step for him from what we've seen in the interactions of those two characters. But not necessarily in this season. But not necessarily in this season because we've watched, uh, well, uh, you know, four episodes of him being very restrained and nice uh, to people or kind or thoughtful or, you know, telling Steven Root to cut his prices. You know what I mean? It's like we expected this, but it was definitely a surprise for Cad Bane. Okay, so uh, Fett's new tribe is spread out, uh, spread out across Mos Espa in the three territories. And just then a coordinated attack happens with the Aqualish attacking the mods in the worker district. The Trandoshans surround Black K at the city center, and half a dozen of them take him down. And at the starport, the Quatunians push uh, the Gamorian guards off a cliff. So these are—we have to assume these are the same Gamorian guards from Return of the Jedi, right? And they were just like killed like punks here. <laughs> oh, and also we should mention that none of these three crime families show a thing called honor. So because they, no, they all, they, they all they reneged on their deal. Yeah. Yeah. So, uh, I, but you know, I was surprised that they killed the Gamorrean guards off. I don't know. I'm not sure why, but I, I was. So, uh, Fennec is sent to confront the Pike, uh, at their like temporary headquarters on Moss Eisley. Uh, but in the way that she's able to like, on the way, she runs into the, like the the mod gang, and she's able to get them like out of. They're like pinned down, and she she's able to help them out. Did this did this moment feel like it was staged poorly to you? Yes, because when she hops down after shooting a bunch of uh, of the the Aqualash, she hops on her speeder bike, and her speeder bike is clearly within the visibility of where the mod gang was hiding. How did you not notice her showing up to help you? Uh. I don't know. The whole thing. They, they were under fire. Like they were no, under pressure. No, 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 no. I don't know. I'm just... <laughs> it was very poorly staged. It was, it was a very cheap, badly staged sequence. I, I do have to say, and I think I've said this before on this podcast. I, I appreciate how hard Brian goes at trying to find uh, logical reasonings to, uh, to, to fight back at things. But I feel like this one, 
maybe doesn't make much sense, but I'm guessing they had a small corner of a set or something. It's, it's, it's partially that, but I also partially think that like the emotion of how Fennec arrives matters um, because that worked better. And I think we've talked about this on this, this podcast before, but like, that that scale that like Walter Murch sort of uses uh, about what's most important and when you choose a shot and continuity rates way lower than the right emotion. Oh, I don't have a problem with how Fennec Shand arrived. It's just the logistics of the the geography of the situation that don't make sense to me. I, I, I'm perfectly fine with her showing up, saving the day, writing off quickly, but like yeah. there had to be a better way to position her, her, um, leaving that scene than being in a place where she clearly could have been spotted. Yeah. Especially in that situation, but okay, let's move on. Uh, meanwhile, a bunch of the Pike set up position outside the sanctuary and fed is shocked that Mando isn't going to leave him hanging. Uh, he, he even calls his creed Bantha fodder. So, uh, so there's, there's, there's clearly a, you know, Boba Fett is as much as he's a nice person, he still doesn't believe in the Mandalorian way. He still has not embraced his legacy as a Mandalorian, even though he wears I, the. I, what? I don't think he has a legacy as a Mandalorian. I don't think he cares. The only thing he has the legacy of is his dad's armor. Yeah, but his dad was a Mandalorian. I mean, was a foundling, right? Yeah, but I wouldn't be um, I wouldn't be surprised if if like, though, if there's probably some disillusionment there, like much in the same way that people become disillusioned with like the churches that they're raised on and that maybe he passed on yeah. a bit of a disdain for Mandalorian culture to his son because he felt, I don't know, betrayed by them or didn't buy into the, the Mandalorian creed as he saw it. I, yeah, I, I'm not sure how much Boba Fett is going to fit into the future of this Mandalorian verse, but I do think whatever place he has in it, I I think his arc has to do with him maybe not embracing the legacy of the Mandalorian, but having to deal with that, like having to confront it in a way that he has not yet. And I, I, feel, I feel like there's something there that I they're mean, hinting at. Yeah, if anything, I feel like if there's a larger development for Boba Fett beyond what we've seen in the season, it's him finding his own creed that isn't just based upon ruthlessly killing for for money and that's a good character arc to have but i don't think that there's a substantial enough way of earning it in in this season which is something we'll get to towards the end of this episode one thing i did appreciate here is aside from him showing like that he doesn't really have much uh, stake or in- interest in like the the creed of mandalorians uh at least the the one that he's familiar with is when Mandalorian confirms that like that he does you know believe it and, and anything his response kind of comes with a little bit of respect is like all right good you know because then it means you know he is he'll be loyal like loyal and will stay and actually fight with him yeah and I also think this shows a difference of the people that Boba Fett has kind of put in his um what do you call that inner circle or whatever uh the people that have joined him not based on the promises of fortunes or money yeah or you know it's been out of respect and it's been out of loyalty and he he saw that and then you see the difference of that as opposed to those three crime families who you saw you know it was about money you know like you said or like i said earlier there's no honor amongst thieves 
Um, I, I think he's definitely trying to do something different with this new tribe that he's kind of surrounding himself with. But uh, we can talk about that a little bit later. Uh, so Mando offers two possible strategies here, but Fett doesn't want to abandon Mos Espa. And Mando is fine with staying put, dying in the name of honor. Look at that, the episode title. Uh, Major Domo reveals he went to school in Coruscant, but he wasn't rich, he assures you. Uh, pitches the idea of letting him handle the ne- negotiations. I just want to say... This character has been like the most consistently entertaining <laughs> and amusing part of this entire series because he's such this like sniveling little weasel, the kind of person that like like w- w- went to uh you know an Ivy League school and, but is like trying to not be a douchebag about it, but still comes off as this just really sniveling kind of scumbag, and th- it's just such a good character. He is great. I don't know. Well, okay, we could talk about his future when we get there. But uh, or if he has a future, but um, so Major Domo meets with the Pikes in the street, and one of them calls him Tailhead, which he takes much offense to. Um, and he says, uh, he says something like he 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 someday would like to see the obsidian cliffs of Obadiah with his own eyes. What what is he trying to say here, Brian? Because I, I didn't even quite get that reference. So uh, Obadiah is the the Pike. The, the homeworld of the Pikes. And to me, it was him trying to show some reverence to their culture in a way that they weren't extending to him. So it was sort of like a really backhanded, like, hey, uh, you might not respect me, but I respect you and know about you. So maybe, maybe I could, don't shoot me, please. <laughs> uh, so the Major Domo reads Fett's offer, which is for the Pikes to leave the planet and stop trading spice on Tatooine, <laughs> which is hilarious. And, Boba and Mando surprise flying in overhead with their jetpacks, uh, taking out some of the pikes with their their guns and stuff like that. And there, you know what? Out of all the action, like the two moments that got me the most, one of them is here. It's kind of like this Avengers Assemble moment where the Mandalorians are kind of fighting together in front of the sanctuary, and it, it, the camera's kind of uh, you know dollying around them. It, it re- really felt cool. And uh, there's also a moment in this action sequence where Boba Fett gets this good gun knocked out of his hands and he's going to reach for it. But uh, there's an attacker and he uses his like a uh, what do you call that? Like a knee? I don't know. His his uh, yeah, his knee rockets, knee rockets. That was that was badass. So I don't I don't want to like you be too harsh on uh, the action in this episode because I felt like those two moments in this action scene in particular but brad it seemed like you liked the action a little bit more than me what did you think of this whole this whole action sequence yeah seeing mando and boba fett fight side by side was really cool they they each kind of like have their own uh, approach it was nice seeing boba fett use more of his his arsenal uh and you know mandalorian doing what he what he does best it was surprising to me that mando seemed to have a little bit more difficulty taking blaster shots than than boba fett did since mandalorian <laughs> kind of seemed like maybe he was uh better than boba fett at least in his own series um but yeah i just i this it was cool seeing them flying around in their jetpacks and just really uh really going at it with the the pikes brian any thoughts on the sequence i thought it was fun i think um this is another one of those moments where boba finally gets to fire his own rocket jetpack which is something that's that's sort of become a joke right that like uh, the rocket firing Boba Fett is the most rare of the Boba Fetts. Yeah. And we finally got one. 
Yeah, yeah. Um, and just then, the people of Freetown show up to the party, and they help by providing their vehicles a barricade slash shield. And I, I feel like we should have, or at least I should have been more excited about this moment. But with Cobb Vanth out of commission, and I don't really know any of these Freetown characters. Like, sure, I know the bartender, and then there's Joe, you know, I think said one or two things in her Mandalorian episode. But I don't know. I, I just feel, feel like I didn't have enough invested in the characters of Freetown to be, like, super excited that they showed up. Yeah, without Cobb Vanth, like, it kind of takes the wind out of the sails of their their arrival. You don't care too much. And even though they they try to create a little bit of a um of an emotional tie to to those the the characters that show up and to, uh, with the mods like by by illustrating this kind of like rival there is between these two groups of people and then bringing them together to you know fight their common enemy it wasn't it didn't feel like it was enough to grasp on it just felt kind of it was kind of glossed over um and it seems like it was something that the writers realized they probably needed to do to like make you care a little bit more about a lot of the characters that are there. But for me, it just didn't, didn't work that well. That whole dynamic would have been good if they had established that a couple episodes. Ago. Yeah, exactly. They really needed to build up to it. Yeah. Uh, so the mods arrive on their scooters and black K while being blasted from all directions from, uh, before finding cover. And, uh, Boba Fett calls black K Santo. What, I've never heard that name before. Is that what he's called? Uh, They did. No, they did use that. I think um, they, it was an offhanded sort of mention. I mean, this is the, the Kersantan version of Chewbacca and Chewie. Got Um, it. And, and it was something that I want to say Fennec Shand used a few episodes ago. Cause it wasn't the last two. Cause they weren't in it. (laughs) Um, Well, I totally missed that one over my head. Um, he promises him a long soak in the back to tank when this is all over. But I think the real question, Brian, is w- would Black K even fit in that back to tank? Um, I mean, <laughs> it would be a tight squeeze. Uh, I'm sure it could be modified or, or something. I'm, I, yeah. I'm sure. But I think the thing that I was most surprised by is that there was no logical like change. Like there was nothing that would tell us that his fortune had changed from being tackled by like six Trandoshans to him limping and then just taking those bullets like a champ or taking those blasters like a champ to get him to this point. It's like, Oh, I guess, I guess he did make it out, but I had written him off for dead and was very sad. And I guess maybe that's the point. Yeah. I I think that was probably the, uh, I don't want to say clever, but by, putting those three districts at, uh, intercut at the same time and you see the Gamorian guards get thrown off a cliff right after you see all those, uh, him getting tackled by all those people, you kind of assume that like he suffered the same fate. I mean, not being thrown off a cliff, but you know. Well, but it's like, I think the reason it felt like a mistake to me though was that, or a jump in the continuity is that we saw the fate of the Gamorians. We knew they weren't showing up. We saw Fennec rescue everybody. We did not see Kersantan like that, that bridge between the two. Right. Yeah. But I guess it was like the equivalent of him getting tackled was like the Gamorians getting knocked off the cliff, I guess. 
Um, I don't know. Something about it just didn't read right to me. I wished that there had been an intermediary step between the two. That's all. I feel like the moment when the action kind of gets blah to me a little bit is the next moment when the pikes retreat because there's these huge battle droid kind of things that come out. Have we seen these battle droids before? No, um, these Scorponek droids, this is their first appearance in in any real storytelling. Um, they had appeared in the Legends canon in some of the source books and stuff, but they are really rooted in designs that were built and, and made for Attack of the Clones. Um, but this is their first time on screen. Um, they were sort of based on destroyer droid designs and that's really what they are they're giant ugly uh bigger destroyer droids from phantom menace essentially um and uh they they work as a really cool foil here yeah um i mean they they remind me a little bit uh yeah they seem like souped up destroyer or uh wait destroyer droids yeah um yeah they they, they seem like souped up like that but they also remind me of um Who's that from Robocop? The uh ED209. Or ED209, yeah. Um gives me a little bit of that vibe. Maybe it's some of the sound design there. But I think the thing that like annoys me, I don't know. I just don't like CG villains that are like virtually in- invincible and extremely powerful. Like it's Yeah, this this felt like a a video game level. Um but I I liked just like watching how they attack them and trying to figure out how to get through the shields I felt was was enjoyable enough and like they also did a really good job of like showing like the various ways that they had to attack and which ones didn't work and which ones did work as a way of like just building up to being able to take them down I agree there and I I I understand that they actually if you you know play it back and you watch it there's actually some you know, pseudo-scientific reasoning of what can penetrate the field and what can't. That said, I think it's bullshit that the Darksaber can't penetrate the field. Well, I mean, that was... We've kind of established that in the prequels, right? Where, like, the destroyer droids and those shields, energy couldn't pass through them just the way that technology has been set up in Star Wars. Yeah. Um, and, and even... Um, Mando kind of reiterates that like our energy weapons can't get through the shields because it's just energy bouncing on energy and our kinetic weapons are moving too fast, which is why in Phantom Menace, we see how they work. And that's why the the battle droids just sort of walked through the shields. Um, It doesn't hurt them the way it did Kersantan as he tried to push through it. Um, So it, it definitely sort of proves the, the effectiveness of them against organic foes. I don't know. All of that that logic worked for me because I felt like it had been really well established in all the other parts of Star Wars. Fair enough. Um, I I will say that I thought for sure they were going to get out of this mess by somehow getting in the middle of the two droids and then jetpacking out and having them fire at each other in some way. I thought that that was going to be what it was going to be. So I'm glad it wasn't that. Um, but uh, but but jetpacks away to find some more help the mods help black k who is limping but the pikes are uh they're firing while while uh the mods are trying to help black k and here's here's like the the moment where i cringed was when scad tries to help by 
spinning around in a circle and then firing his gun. <laughs> yeah, I was. I thought the same thing. I was like, what was the point of that? <laughs> It's like, oh yeah, maybe maybe do that and look cool when like someone's life isn't on the line, Scad. That's like, I don't know, it just seems so silly. But um, okay, so uh, the mods want to stay uh, where they are, and the Freetown bartender thinks they should retreat. But Drash grew up around there and knows better. It's a, th- that whole dynamic that Brad was talking about earlier. I, I love that phrase she uses. I grew up a womp hop away from here. <laughs> has that ever been used before no i it was new for this i think it was just a yeah. really smart turn of phrase given the the location and the character yeah there, there, and then this was this uh, like the second one like turn of phrase turned into the star wars version of that with a uh, cad bane using a star wars version of pot calling the kettle black too oh yeah i, I think yeah. that might have been used before in mandalorian yeah, uh, Boba Fett used it uh, on um, Costco Reeves in the bar in season yeah. two. Oh, I forgot about yeah. that. That's why you guys have me. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so Mando finds Pelimoto riding around with a RIC droid. Uh, she has a surprise for him, but he has no time to, to learn about that. They take off away from the big droid and she finally reveals that Grogu is in the rickshaw and I don't know I I think part of my disappointment of this finale is number one that it wasn't surprising in any way uh part of it is that um my, my disappointment of this series as a whole which i still liked i want to say i still like this series i would probably give it like a 7.5 out of 10 or something like that but part of my disappointment of this series as a whole is obviously you know it's not really a boba fett show but the other part of it is that mandalorian season two ended on such an emotional moment with din having to give up grogu and they reunite like and they reunite in the middle of this battle and the emotional reunion is kind of like secondary to the action. And it doesn't seem like it give, gets the emotional weight that it should. Is that fair? Or like, is that criticism fair is I guess what I'm asking. I mean, I think that criticism is fair, but it didn't, it didn't feel that way to me. I really loved the reaction, like the surprise that he had, but also like, taking over immediately to say like you've raised the stakes for me personally here right mm-hmm. i need to make sure you're safe yeah. and that takes over there um that that's really why it worked for me and the actor whoever was in the costume conveying that surprise running at full speed behind the rickshaw droid <laughs> was it was top notch mimic like mime work it was so good um okay so he notices that grogu is wearing the best car chain mail that he left for him and he actually calls it a shirt the shirt <laughs> you're wearing the shirt uh do you think there's any way that grogu also has yoda's lightsaber i sincerely doubt it i mean unless he unless he was sneaky enough to steal it before he left <laughs> never never know <laughs> He's a crafty little guy. 
Okay, so the RAC droid collapses, sending the passengers flying, and of course, Mando fires the jetpack, catching Grogu in midair and in super slow motion. And in case you're wondering, the auto description, audio description of uh, this episode does confirm that Pelimoto does spit out one of her teeth, which you can that's, kind of actually see. That's actually what I thought. What I thought happened. I thought it was a nice little moment. Yeah, I wasn't sure when I first saw it, and then my second viewing, I watched it with that. And then when you see her in su- subsequent scenes, you can actually see there's a gap in her teeth if you like look closely. So, so she lost one of her tooth from from this whole thing. Um, and here we hear a roar f- from what is the Rancor, which is joined this party, and Boba is riding it, holding chains attached to its nose ring. This moment it was badass. This is the second action moment I think of this episode that I was just like, "This, this is cool." Uh, Brett, thoughts on the sequence? Yeah, it was very cool to see happen. I, I don't necessarily, I'm not necessarily sure that it's fully earned for Boba Fett as a as a character. You know, because obviously it was teased beforehand, uh, and this kind of moment does need to be a surprise. But like, I'm not. Did did he really have enough? time between meeting the rancor and this moment to like really train and be able to like get a handle on that i don't know but nevertheless boba fett looks cool on top of the rancor and man the rancor itself looks incredible like seeing it before they obviously did a really good job of using cgi to mimic stop motion animation and making it look very similar to the movement of the rancor from return of the jedi but seeing it in like full motion here, they did an incredible job of making that creature feel very practical. Like it, it looked as good as like the dinosaurs in Jurassic Park do. Uh, I was very impressed with the work that Industrial Light and Magic did here. It it does not feel like TV show effects. Yeah, not at all. Yeah, yeah. And uh, I know this is not to what you're saying because this whole sequence I think is CG, but they did build. Uh, at least the Rancor's like face, because there's like a set photo that Danny Trejo, I think, posted ne- is standing next to the uh, the Rancor. So I think for the close-ups, there's actually a practical. But I, I, I yeah, everything in the sequence, I'm I'm pretty sure it's CG and it, it looks amazing. But um, does it feel unearned? I, I mean, me, maybe uh, you know, I, it, it was explained that it would take some time and discipline to be able to ride a Rancor. But you know what? We haven't seen what's been going on with Boba Fett for two episodes. So so maybe he, he spent that time and, and made it happen. So it 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 worked. It worked well enough for me because, you know, it's the same thing where you don't want to sit and watch someone circle a block waiting for a parking spot to open up. You want them to just pull right up no matter how unrealistic that is. Fair enough. Um, the Rancor can't infiltrate the shields, but has enough power to knock them over. Uh, Mando uses the opportunity to attack one of the droids from behind, slicing off its laser cannons with his Darksaber. And he doesn't seem to be having any trouble wielding the Darksaber this week, but uh, who knows. Um, as Mando is in trouble, Grogu uses the Force to, hold, to pull a ball joint out of the droid's leg and the Rancor attacks the droid from behind, tearing it to pieces. Uh, reminds me of my dog, like, attacking, like, one of his toys or something. <laughs> and uh, Drash and Joe are able to pick off some of the fighters from above. The Rancor bursts onto the scene, munches on some pikes, throws the droid into a building. Um, 
I, don't, I, I just love this whole sequence with the Rancor. The Rancor sequence, I, I, I really have no complaints once the Rancor arrives. I got to say, one of the things, though, um, I was left being reminded of Man of Steel because Boba Fett makes it a point to say like he won't leave Mos, Estra, Mos Espa and like the people there don't want to see it destroyed. But that Rancor fucks up Mos Espa <laughs> pretty badly. <laughs> I loved the the King Kong callbacks to it. Oh, yeah. yeah. Like it, it really pulled in that King, especially like, oh, that one tower. It seems like as you go back and watch the establishing shots of Mos Espa from the rest of the show, that one tower was put there just for this moment. Um, and I don't know. Did, did you all catch when he, when he punted that, that Pike uh, enforcer that, that we got a Wilhelm scream, which we yes. haven't heard in star Wars in a while. Yeah. Yeah. I, yeah. That. I noticed um, that. Uh, was I the only one here nervous that the Rancor was going to die when they were shooting at it? <laughs> yeah, I felt back. It's like they did the, a good job of like turning the Rancor into a little bit more of a sympathetic creature, like a you know a pet to be respected and taken care of, rather than feared as just like this big monster. And then they kind of t- went back and turned it into a monster. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so Major Domo and Pelimoto have become friends. They're the new power couple of Tatooine. And uh, now that the dredger out of the way, Cad Bane shows up and is not afraid of Fat on the Rancor. He actually spooks the rancor with his flamethrower sending fett flying and the rancor retreats allowing cad bane and boba to have their showdown that we've been waiting for we've been waiting a whole episode for this guys and (laughs) well uh, and again this is one of those things that like um filoni's been teasing the showdown between them for years in deleted Mm -hmm. scenes it was supposed to be something that we saw in the clone wars and I think Cad Bane for a lot of people, and I think Cad Bane still for a lot of people, is the is the 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 more badass bounty hunter. And you, so, I was gonna say there's go a lot there's a lot of canon in the sequence, like the the discussion here, calling back to their Clone Wars days and stuff. Uh, do, do you want to talk about that as well? Yeah, I mean they they definitely. Um, Ref, ref, uh, reference all of that those early days with Boba um, that Cad Bane had. I mean, Cad Bane knew Jango Fett. Um, Cad Bane knew Boba and acted as a, a surrogate father for Boba. Maybe, maybe that at least that's how Boba viewed it. I don't think Cad Bane ever did because Cad Bane was willing to ditch Boba or let him get arrested or or um really not support him in ways that maybe a father would. And that was just one of those negative places that Boba looked for guidance after the death of his father. And so um, Boba Fett was growing up in the shadow of Cad Bane every bit as much as he was Jango Fett. Um, And they referenced this, this sort of stuff in this conversation pretty explicitly. Yeah, and he uh, rips Boba Fett's helmet off, deals his final lesson, look out for yourself, anything else is weakness. But before he can fire his final blast, Fett takes him out with his gaffy stick, uh, stabbing him in the chest. Which I, I think I th- it's cool that he wins this not with his you know Boba Fett weapons, but with his you know his new uh, tribe of, of I, when he was with the I Dustins. think... I think that's really a really a really great. This was one of the few thematic things that really worked for me this episode in that Cad Bane knows all the tricks that Boba Fett would use normally um, that he had taught him and trained him with. And 
Boba Fett couldn't win Cad Bane's game when he was playing Cad Bane's game. And Cad Bane underestimates him because Cad Bane doesn't know that that side of Boba Fett and then ends up losing because of that. Um, because when Boba Fett is fighting Cad Bane by Cad Bane's rules, he can't win. But when he brings in the Tuscans, he can. I want to chime in here and say this is something that I, I also really like too, but I feel like it's also hurt by the fact that I feel like it uses the Tuscan Raider stuff as a crutch to explain a weak connection to everything else that Boba Fett has been fighting for. If this was a lot more ingrained in just the Tuscan Raiders and the village and their slaughter and the bond that he created with them, I would be a lot happier. But uh, there was a moment during the exchange between Cad Bane and Boba Fett where Cad Bane asked the question that we've all been thinking about. What's your angle? And I was like, yes, finally, somebody asked the question, like, what, what's, your, what's your game? What are you doing, man? And Boba Fett's response is like, you know, like, the, Mos Espa is my city. You know, these are my people. And it's like, is it, though, buddy? Because you kind of just got here and t- <laughs> took it over from Bib Fortuna after killing him. And this was Jabba the Hut stuff before. So are these really your people? Because, like, sure, he struck up a relationship with Black Hay and the mods. And, uh, you know, you have the, the people of Freetown coming, even though they don't really have ties to Boba Fett. Does he really have a tight enough bond with these people for this to feel like a place that he should be defending so vigorously? I feel like they, they try to carry that over of the same attitude he learned from the Tusken Raiders by by having Cad Bane, like, recall that by saying, just like the Tuscans. And it's like, that's not enough for me, you know? I, I felt really disappointed in them making that, like, the backbone of what Boba Fett is fighting for here, because I, I don't buy it. Can, can, See, I, can I pull a Brian here? Sure. I don't sure. believe this, but I'm going to, I'm going to attempt to do the, the, the Brian thing of trying to convince you that the, this, this works. Um, he died here and he was reborn here and he, he you know, this, this is his rebirth and this is where he, he, his new life exists. Can, can I, can I step in and, and do a better job? Here? <laughs> okay, go for it. Brian, um, the, the floor is yours. In, in, this is him saying that this is the task I've set out to do to honor, to be this honorable person to protect most Espa. Even if I have this connection to these people or not, this is the path I put myself on by putting myself in the position of job of the hut. And he was the best bounty hunter by doing the, the best at his job that he could. And he's stepping into this to try it out to say, I'm going to be the best at this, even if it costs me my life. And that's why it doesn't matter that he doesn't have the connection to those people. It's him in the name of honor. Mm. Mm. I don't dislike it, but I still think it's, <laughs> I still think it's kind of a, a weak connection, especially considering like the lack of real emotional weight there's been, I think throughout this entire season. Okay. Let's, uh, let's move on really quickly. Uh, is Cad Bane, is he dead? I mean, I think so, but may, if if Thundercat can come back and, and bring Cobb Vanth, but that's giving getting ahead of ourselves, can bring him yeah. back, or we can bring uh, 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 Fennec Shand back, you know, maybe we'll get a bionic Cad Bane later, but it <laughs> seems as though there's no one around who cares enough about Cad Bane to go help him. Yeah. I, I only bring that up because, um, well, the audio description track does say that you see the life leave his body, which to me reads as he's dead. But then 
it kind of like pans down to his body and you see this flashing light. Yeah, the yeah, the, the briefly. Yeah, the beep and, the, and there's like a it's like a clicking, isn't it? Yeah, you hear it. It's like in the sound design and it's so so much part of the scene that the audio description track points it out. Like it's like and there's this beeping beeping coming from his chest or so or whatever it says. I don't know exactly what it says, but it points it out. So that made me think like maybe there's something to do with that or why are they pointing out the blinking light on his chest? I don't know. It seemed weird. But Brian, I know you pointed out something to do with uh, a change in Cad Bane's uh, head appearance there in the scene. Did or am I wrong I? about that? Oh, I don't know. Uh, I thought you did. Maybe I'm, I'm misremembering. Okay, so what I was going to bring up here is we, we mentioned last week there's this finished – and it never finished Clone Wars. Episode oh yeah, 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 yeah. Where uh, um, Cad Bane went head to head with Boba, and he gave Boba the dent on his helmet, and Cad Bane also got hit. Oh with a shot. no, this is this is something. So this is something that um, I didn't bring it up in my review or anything, but this is definitely. I know exactly where you're going here. In the Bad Batch, I did bring it up in my review of the Bad Batch that oh, he yeah. has a metal. Okay. He he has a metal plate in his head in those appearances where he gets his where we see him without his hat in the spot where Boba had had knocked him in those story reels. And uh, I didn't see that metal plate in his head here, but he was also wearing sort of a, you know, you do a, see a it once his ha- head cover. Yeah. Once his hat like falls, falls off. I think you at least that's what I've read of it. I think you see it. But see, um, I thought I thought that was like. Like that like little part you see there, I thought that was like part of like his, his, his the gear that he wears, like the, whatever that apparatus is, and it's like a metal, almost like collar that's on the back of his neck. I mean that those go into his into his um, the sides of his face, but the the metal piece we're talking about is more like uh, uh, in the the cranial region, like up above his forehead. Oh, okay, yeah, because I maybe I wasn't paying attention to the right spot then. Yeah. Um, but I mean, so maybe this confirms that even though that scene never got played out in Clone Wars, that it's actually canon. And I, I felt like that, that was, that was how I characterized my impression of it when I wrote that for the Bad Batch. Yeah. Yeah. Um, okay. So the Rancor has his King Kong moment that, uh, Brian liked. I liked it. it. It was cool. Um, and I love that he's like. (laughs) <laughs> he's slinging around on the tower holding a land speeder like like a little boy holding like a micro machine or something <laughs> and uh mando gives grogu to peli and jetpacks up to the rancor and tries to rein him in but can't the rancor tries to uh eat mando's head but luckily rancor teeth can't pierce beskar steel and the rancor roars and peli and Major Domo both scream. Like I said, new new power couple here. And uh Grogu waddles out to the Rancor, raises his hand, uses some kind uses some kind of the force, and the Rancor becomes calm and falls asleep. And and uh Grogu's petting it and falls asleep, uh snuggled up to the side of it. And guys, I want a sideshow collectible statue of of the Rancor and Grogu. Sl- <laughs> Just yeah, sleep. I'm sh- I'm sure it's coming. <laughs> yes, 
everything's coming. So uh, what exactly did Grogu do here? Like, what, what did he use the force to do? Do we have any idea? To soothe the beast. Is that something we've like seen I, before? Um, I want to say a little bit where like um, Anakin uses the force a little bit in Attack of the Clones to soothe the reek enough to like mount it, um, yeah. to like approach it. Um, it's something that Obi-Wan kind of does uh, here and there. Like Obi-Wan has a much better connection with animals than uh, Anakin ever did on the Clone Wars. Um, I can't recall off the top of my head a specific time where he puts it to sleep, but um, as much as I puts one to sleep, but- as much as I hate to lend any credence to Rise of Skywalker, uh, Ray also kind of does it by um, calming down that like oh, yeah. that snake creature and then healing it. Yeah, good point. Good point. Um, okay. Uh, also, you know, we know that Grogu gets tired after using his force power, so that's why he fell asleep next to the Rancor. And we cut to the this meeting with the the Pike leader, and he's with the leaders of the Tatooine crime families. They've lost soldiers too, and are angry. They're cut. They're going to cut and run. And the Trandoshan argues that they had a deal. Again, you know, call back to you know, in the name of honor. Uh, it in the end, it doesn't matter because Fennec Chan shows up and takes them all out, hangs the mayor which was a uh, pretty, uh, pretty. This, yeah. it, it felt like the opening of Luke Besson's Leon, the professional. Yes. So much like down to the hanging, right. And the dangling feet, which is something he does to one of the enforcers in that mob, uh, in that mob fortress, uh, dangling off the stairs. And, and when they actually showed, her uh when they showed the window and the holes in the window i thought they were going to go beat for beat with it with her looking in through one of those holes to see the the pike Mm. uh they didn't go that far but um i i expected it because it was so much beat for beat uh jean renault's um leon it was so it was so good you know i was going to ask this question in speculation but i'll ask this here now that the pikes are done on Tatooine at least. And the crime families of the planet are done. Or at least the leaders have been killed. What's left for Boba Fett? Well, he says specifically, like, I don't like this life. Like, I, I don't I don't like this life. And then Fennec says, like He says, We're we're not you know, suited for this. Yeah, like then she says, Well, who would we get to do it? And then it cuts to the credits and the Cobb Vanth scene. So it's like I thought that was a pretty clear impression oh, that he was going to take off. He was going to take off with the Mandalorian and go fight again with Fennec Shand and Black Crescent and and maybe even take a mod or two with him and leave Cobb Vanth to move the people of Freetown to Mos Espa to 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 take over. See, and this is like that 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 makes sense as far as like progressing the narrative and like leaving Mos Espa in good hands and like Boba Fett not necessarily. Uh, being a good guy in a criminal empire but like it, it i feel like it it almost negates the idea of him going back to jabba the hutt's criminal empire to begin with like that to me tears down any motivation that there might have been or any like 
him seeking any sort of honor because he he didn't go there looking for that and that might be enough to like justify his character arc but like i just feel like it makes his progress as a character his his character arc feel really messy and disjointed that's why i said at the beginning of the show where i think the end kind of undoes what they did with him because his this is a circular storytelling right this is this is walter mitty telling everybody yeah i swear i'm not going to go back into my fantasy world and then slipping right back into it at the end boba fett comes in says i don't want to work for skug holes anymore i want to work for myself i want to be the head of a family he goes and accomplishes it and then at the end goes yeah this wasn't for me i don't like this i'm gonna go back to exactly the character development i had right before this show started i'm pretty tired i think i'll go home (laughs) now But yeah. that's it, 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 it undoes it. So it, it puts him in a place where like all of the development we saw in this show gets reverted exactly back to that, that point before. Maybe we'll see a different Boba Fett as he ventures out into the galaxy. Maybe he will be um, a different sort of bounty hunter than, than Cad Bane. And I do think Cad Bane saying like giving that final lesson and then Boba killing him is a rejection of Cad Bane's philosophy that you can only be in it for yourself and, you know, Boba Fett is here tossing Melu runs to, to Black Kersantan saying like, well, I've got my found family here. Maybe the show we get is Black Kersantan, Fennec Shan and Boba Fett just doing, you know, pulling cool like Mission Impossible shit mm-hmm. against bad guys and Imperial remnants. And I'm on board for that. But I'm not sure this show was the way to get us there because nothing on Tatooine becomes consequential. Like he's not getting anything out of it. He hasn't gotten anything out of it. Really, like it seems like the only reason this happened on Tatooine is because he had to climb out of the Sarlacc. Yeah, I mean, well, the interesting thing, Brian, is I've seen this episode two times now. And when he says that we are not suited for this line, I I never actually considered that he was ready to quit this position. I, I just thought that he was, I don't know. Okay. So let's rewind a second. They're, they're walking through the city and there's like citizens now trying to like clearing out the debris and all that stuff. And then uh, there's citizens that are like bowing to him. And there's some kids that come over with a mellow reunion and uh, they give it to him, which to me kind of read like a, like almost a Godfather reference kind of thing. Yeah. But then I was thinking about how much these like these kind of melons mean to the series and how, you know, he was discovered by the Tuscans taking in as a prisoner. And he was like, just all he wanted was water. And he saw the, the Tuscan chief, was the one that got to drink all the black uh, from all the black melons. So he saw that the leader was the one that like had the power and ha- had the water. And when he did good for the tribe, he was actually offered by the chief, you know, one of the black melons to drink from. And I feel like at the end here, he gets offered one of these real melons. It's not like one of those god awful milky water you know, it grows in the sands of Tatooine. This is actually like one of the good melons. Uh, and, you know, people are respecting him for the leader that he's actually aspired to become. 
uh, I don't know what I thought when he said we are not suited for this and Fennec said if not us then who I, I didn't think that was like I, I thought that was kind of I read it more like um, we have achieved more than I ever thought or you know like yeah I, I guess I guess I just read it I don't know I'm interested in Brad on the tiebreaker here yeah I actually read it in the way that Brian did it's like it's like this mm. this isn't this isn't for us like we got to get out of here <laughs> Interesting. Okay. Well, I mean, I, 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 I like that too. Then what do you think they're saying with that, that melon? Cause I do think there is that, I think John Favreau has laid that black melon in here and that is a callback to that in some way. So what is your I, interpretation of that? I think your interpretation's a- absolutely right. I think Boba Fett realizes that he doesn't want to have that power over people. Yeah. I agree with that with that part of it. I I think it's like it's more so of an, an idea of like someone else needs to be in charge of this kind of thing and not in like a a criminal empire kind of way. You know, like I think with the the Pikes gone, you know, there's going to be some major changes around Tatooine and Mos Espa, and maybe the criminal empire won't be quite so prominent anymore, and there might be room for more legitimate business and less corruption there among the people so the idea of boba fett saying you know this isn't for us i think is is like we don't need to be you know crime lords you know we can we can do do good for people you know even if it requires violence but you know still fight for people who need it i still think this is going to lead to <laughs> to boba fett becoming the leader of mandalore guys but i i know i'm the only one on this train so i feel like it would that would be kind of a slap in the face to mandalore wouldn't it <laughs> Would it? I don't know. Yeah. Like he, he is of a, a, a the 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 clone of a foundling. Yeah, but that's I don't know. I don't know. I th- I, I feel like there's not many Mandalore left alive, and then even the ones that are like are kind of like extremists, like idiots. I think I, I think what has to happen probably, and this is probably like a long kind of thing. Um, is I feel like Bo-Katan does have to reclaim Mandalore, but she has to learn something along the way to make her not so extreme. What do you think, Brian? I really think that... I just want to see Mando season three. Um, <laughs> that's what I really want. Like, I, I, I think... Um, I think Boba's going to play a role in it, and that's part of why I looked at this as just sort of like this whole thing was a, a way state, like a waypoint on the way to him being involved again. But I think he's going to come down on the, the side of, of Mando. Um, because like in this trade of honor, right. Um, because he did come to defend, help him defend his home, even though he's going to abandon him, abandon it immediately. And Bo-Katan is, is, going to have to fight against both of them. And I think it's going to be cool. I think whoever (laughs) fights in that situation, we win (laughs) for sure. Okay. Well, we'll get to more of that in speculation. Let me just uh, catch up on the end of this episode. So they meet up with black K the mods and also the rat catcher droid. So I guess the rat catcher droid is now part of this crew. Yeah. Which which I'm love so much. I'm fine. As long as, like they don't have to have any more cartoon chases with them. <laughs> okay. uh, so then we cut from that to Mando flying the modified Naboo starfighter. We finally get to see Grogu in his don't passenger seat where we knew he was going to end up. 
and he's egging Mando into hitting hyperspace, which he he loves to do. And this is another thing I don't like, guys. Why is the Book of Boba Fett, why is the last scene before the credits of the Book of Boba Fett a scene with Mand- Mandalorian and Grogu? Why, why is a show that's supposed to be about Boba Fett ending this on Mando and Grogu? Because that's where the emotionally satisfying ending is. <sighs> I mean, you're right. You're, you're definitely right. Uh, so the end credits hit and, uh, you know, I didn't hear this the first time, but the second time I was listening uh, because uh, Kitra heard it the first time, the theme song, they changed it and actually says Fett, the Book of Boba. Yeah, Fett. yeah, yeah. At first when I heard the Fett, I was like, have they been saying Fett this whole time? <laughs> <laughs> I'm pretty sure they haven't, right? This was kind of no, they, no, no. Yeah, they definitely haven't. And this, this was really funny to me actually because this actually reminded me of. Um, did you ever see that? Uh, it went viral, I think, where someone made lyrics to the Game of Thrones theme song. Yes. Yeah, where it's like Game of fucking Game of fucking Thrones, <laughs> like, and this, this felt like that to me. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, I don't know. I was just so weird. Yeah, because Kitcher brought it up and I was like, no, they don't. I, I like totally like was like, you're just hearing things. But then when I, when I watched it the second time, I was like, holy crap. They're saying, <laughs> have, I, have I missed this, missed that this whole time? Uh, so there is a mid credit scene here. Cobb Vanth is in the bo- back to pod and the modifier from the mod parlor fires up his self cauterizing scalpel and we cut to black so you guys both think that this means that Cobb Vanth is going to be the one to rule Tatooine? Or at least Mos Espa. Yeah, he's going to be RoboCop. <laughs> are, are we going to get the Cobb Vanth, uh, you know, justified RoboCop show? I mean, I'd like to point out that before this ever happened last week, I said that we're going to put Cobb Vanth in a back-to-tank, and then we're going to get his own show with flashbacks. <laughs> <laughs> I I would not be surprised by this at all. Like I think people really love that. I, I think people love Timothy Oliphant as Cobb Vanth. I think he's got a great dynamic. And to be honest, this is kind. Of, I would have rather watched this show with him as the main character than Boba Fett. And that was kind of what I was hoping for after I read the sequences of him trying to free Freetown in in Chuck Wendig's aftermath. I'd love to see it. I think it would be cool. Uh, before we get to speculation, you know, I, I hate to harp on this whole the Mandalorian episodes. I know we've talked a lot about it, but now that we've finally seen the end of the series, do, do you really feel like it? Um, it deserves those two episodes to be devoted to the Mandalorian and Luke Skywalker and Grogu. I don't know about deserves, but like, I mean, if those episodes didn't exist, then this show would be the worst for it. Yeah, I think I think the other thing, too, though, is that like um, essentially we got one Mando episode and one Grogu episode. Right. And both of them. Um, we're going on their own journey separate from Boba Fett and we had watched him collect all of his other allies as they were involved with him. So if you were to actually watch um, the episodes of Mandalorian with Boba Fett in them and the book of Boba Fett and these episodes, it would feel like one consistent story. And that's kind of why like 
I'm not looking at this like a Boba Fett show. I'm looking at it as though Book of Boba Fett was the subtitle on Mandalorian season 2.5. Because if you if you line all of that storytelling up together and watch it concurrently in chronological order um, to the present, not to the flashbacks, it all makes sense with being able to take those diversions for Mando and Grogu. I think I I agree with that to some extent. Like if like if you're looking at the bigger picture, but then I think about like what Marvel is doing with the the Disney Plus shows, and even though the Marvel Cinematic Universe as a whole requires you to understand so many things and beats from different movies to understand where characters are at in their TV shows now, like WandaVision and, and Loki and Falcon and the Winter Soldier, each of those shows still has a contained narrative that doesn't require any interjection or like sudden appearance of other Marvel characters to make it work. You know, WandaVision especially, I think, pulls at your heartstrings in a phenomenal way. Um, and Loki does the same thing, going through an interesting arc with that character and giving you something else to latch onto. And I never got that from Boba Fett. You know, I didn't care about much that was happening until Mando showed up. And I think that... I don't... Go ahead. I, I was going to say I don't I don't disagree with you at, at all on on those points. Uh, it's me doing my how do I justify understanding this in a way that that I can put myself in the shoes of the storytellers to understand why they told the story this way or why they decided to tell the story for this sure, way, for sure. and how can I get the most enjoyment out of it without? Yes, I would have preferred if this was thematically more tied together and more even and self contained, but seeing how it functioned alongside the Mandalorian stuff, I'm not going to complain about it because taking that bigger picture view makes it better. And I think maybe they know enough to know that like, we're going to do that with it. So they don't care. Yeah. I think that that's, that's a bit troublesome though, when you're dealing with the medium of television. Um, And I think that if anything, it maybe shows a little bit of cracks in the foundation of what Lucasfilm is still trying to build, because I still think that they haven't fully figured out how to move forward in a manner that keeps things connected and tell stories that like are all intertwined without doing something that is exactly like what Marvel is doing and still feels like star Wars. And I think that they're struggling to find a balance between telling new stories uh, that incorporate older characters while still introducing something that feels fresh. And I think this, in this way, they found something that worked on a new engaging level, which is the Mandalorian. But then in their digging back into the roots of what they thought maybe some fans wanted to see, they stumbled and kind of in a little ways kind of like tainted the goodwill that they had built up with the Mandalorian. I do want to say that there was one really great episode before the Mandalorian episodes, episode two with the Tuscans. That got me to care probably more about the Tuscans than it did Boba Fett, which yeah. probably is, goes to your point, Brad. But um, then they had the next episode where they got killed off and uh, Robert Rodriguez directed it and there wasn't even a moment to be sad about it. But um, I, I, yeah, I feel like there's a real missed opportunity for, uh, for them to have weaved in the Tuscan Raiders into the story more and make them more of a pivotal part than just being a, uh, a pit stop for Boba Fett's character development. They, they were essentially, I mean, they were the, the token uh, indigenous minority that was fridged essentially. Yeah. yeah. They were there to motivate Boba Fett instead of being able to tell their own story. And I don't, I, I would like to have seen them, 
if we were actually going to spend all that time and screen time with them and he spent years with them, I would have liked to, I mean, why couldn't this have been a 10 episode show? Yeah. Um, one criticism I see going online to people that are being critical of this is that you're just underwhelmed because you expected a big twist or a cameo that was rumored and, because there wasn't a Marvel-like surprise at the end of this, there wasn't a post credit scene where Han Solo or Kira or something like that shows up, that's why you're underwhelmed. No, because it's... I don't care who it was that it, like, it could have been that should have. I, I don't feel like that there was enough stakes or as menacing of a, a villain or presence to really create a truly compelling story. And like, I, I think that you needed something bigger than just the Pikes. Cause even Cad Bane showing up like sure. Cad Bane is cool. And there's a history of them having a rivalry, but for a lot of more casual Star Wars fans who aren't as ingrained in the animated shows, you know, as someone like Brian is, there's no, you know, rec- recollection there as to that character and what it means or why that's a big deal. So even though he's a, a threatening bad guy, I just don't think that there was enough here to like really make a, a big enough story then to, again, to make you care about what's happening. And I think that's why something, you know, that would have been Crimson Dawn or Kira coming back would have had a larger impression. My, my issues, my issues with this show, which I would like to say I enjoyed immensely. I have enjoyed um, watching it every week. I've enjoyed discussing it with you gentlemen every week. I've just, dis- I've enjoyed writing about it every week i've enjoyed diving into everything my complaint about the show is from a craft and thematic level that it's there's no consistent overarch and i've been saying this for weeks that i feel like what does it mean it doesn't matter what what cameos there are or or weren't the thing i wanted this to do was mean something i wanted to get to the end of boba fett's story story at the end of this show and feel like I had changed as a person by watching Boba Fett change as a person or to empathize with something there. And I don't feel like I had that, that moment of profundity that I would need that I really love in art. Um, you know, even, even rise of Skywalker, which I would say is my least favorite of the star Wars movies, um, has that moment of, of sacrifice. It has that moment of, of very clear, understandable character um, change through the characters, even if it's a little muddled, even if it's like, Oh, like Leia gave her life to, to Kylo Ren so that he could shed himself of that evil influence or something. And now he's going to turn around and sacrifice himself. Like it felt more thematically consistent unto itself than this iteration of Boba Fett's character across these eight episodes did or seven episodes did. If that makes sense. That's my issue with this. Not that I didn't get to see Kira. And I do want to say that I did like this show. I think I would, I'm not sure if I said this earlier, but I think I'd give it like a seven or 7.5 out of 10 overall, which isn't bad. That, that, that that's a fair rating, I think. And I think, Brian, from what I get of you, it seems like you liked the show. You didn't love it. Is that fair? Yeah. Brad seems a little bit more down on it. Yeah, there's elements that I like. Uh, and, you know, like I I still 
it's, it's I'm a Star Wars fan, you know, so I, I can still enjoy watching this stuff, even if there's stuff that I I don't like, you know. And as somebody who will always have some kind of bad thing to say about the prequels, like it doesn't mean that like I don't don't stop and watch them when they're playing on TNT some weekend, you know. Um, and so like I. I, had, I kind of reconcile just like the things that I dislike just with the fact that like I like Star Wars so much. And so, um, you know, and it's, I, I, I'm keeping up with this kind of stuff because, you know, I'm, I'm always hoping and interested in the next thing around the corner. And so in this case, like, I think Ma- the Mandalorian is what kept me more engaged here, knowing that this, you know, would be uh, a part of going forward what's happening with that series and the the, the other upcoming shows. Um, but I, I think that like, Lucasfilm, I think, has some work to do when it comes to doing shows like this and really figuring out how to balance the new with the old, especially if you're going to completely, you know, revamp something old and turn it into something that feels new in the case of Boba Fett and do it in a way that actually feels like it has some some stakes and some real emotional weight to it. I'm really curious what the real story is behind this. I'm, I'm sure we'll never learn it. But I'm I'm really curious of like you know how was this show pitched? Was this originally going to be a, like a season of Mandalorian, and then they expanded the Boba Fett stuff a little bit? It was uh, why was some of the stuff bad? Was it was it because of COVID production kind of stuff? Like I don't know. I, I have so many questions on the the approach to the season. Why they did the the flashbacks? Why they chose to do the Mandalorian thing? I, I don't think we're ever gonna get like real answers to them, but um, something I'm really curious about, but um, okay, let's get into speculation because we're way over our time here. Uh, do you, either of you think we're going to get another book of Boba Fett season? I don't. I, I the book feel is like this is, I think the book is closed and if we see him again, it's going to be on the other ancillary Mandalorian shows. If we do, it'll be way down the line and they decide like, oh, they want to bring him back. But Tamir Morrison's not getting any younger. Or it'll be at the beginning of the Cobb Van series. Yeah. Yeah, he could show up in a bunch of different of the series. Yeah, I don't... All right, this, even... this city is yours now, Cobb Van. Good luck. <laughs> I'm not sure if I want another book of Boba Fett, at least... I mean, maybe if he leaves Tatooine, maybe there could be something interesting there. Like, you pitched... <laughs> them doing like these mission impossible like uh missions and stuff like that like that that might be interesting to see in the star wars world but i think i'm done kind of uh i don't think i want more boba fett ruling on tatooine yeah i don't need a, another season where boba fett is the main character uh he can be a supporting character from here on out um okay so <laughs> so Cobb Vanth is alive. Uh, we we assume that he's going to take over Boba Fett's role on Tatooine. Does that mean he becomes an elected official, or is he just going to be like he's the marshal? That? He's the marshal. Yeah. So he's just uh, self-appointed. I think the people of Freetown appointed him, and I think they all like they're gonna. I I don't know. We'll see. We'll see because I do think that's a story they're going to pick up on. They didn't bring Cobb Vanth in there for nothing. And I don't think this is the last we've seen of Pelimato either. 
And she's a character that originated in Mandalorian. I think Mando is going to be back on Tatooine here or there and intersect with these characters and we'll get updates about them at the very least. Yeah. I th- but yeah, I think that's the safest bet too, is that like, if it's, if we don't get, you know, a Cobb series, which it would, as much cool as it would be, doesn't seem like it would be like a priority for Lucasfilm. I feel like these are characters that we'll just encounter, you know, when people like Mandalorian and Boba Fett need help or like whatever mission they're on leads them back to, to Tatooine and stuff like that. Yeah. Uh, the last season that we gathered here on this podcast to talk about stuff was for Mandalorian season two. And at the end of that, like I, I kind of had an idea of what Mandalorian season three might be, but now that Grogu is back with Mando, what do you guys think is going to be in the future for the Mandalorian? I think he's going to be protecting Grogu and training him to be a foundling. He's going to quest to Mandalore to uh, regain his status as a Mandalorian because in his eyes, he doesn't believe he is until he atones. Yeah, he definitely has to do that. And then I'm sure there's that, you know, obviously there has to be some kind of confrontation with Bo-Katan because she wants the Darksaber. Yeah, and Moff Gideon and the New Republic and the the friction there is going to play a part. And I wonder now that they've introduced Luke into this era, if we might get similar stuff with Leia and Han. Hmm. I'd be interested in that. I I really hope that they do. If they do that, that they just find a younger actor to play him. I'm I'm not sure if I like this whole. We've got Alden Ironreich. We've got Alden. He can just do it. I want. I hope he shows up on the Lando show, which is something we haven't talked about. Oh yeah, Lando show would be awesome. Uh, yeah. Do we think that's still happening? I have seen no indication that it isn't, and it was the one that was that when Kathleen Kennedy announced it was sort of pushed furthest ahead into the future about how they were just starting discussions. The the one that I think the one that got announced that I'm pretty sure is just not happening is Rangers of the New Republic. And I think Kathleen Kennedy has said that as much and said that it was getting folded into future storytelling of Mandalorian. And that quote that she had about that, I think it was like in an interview with Empire, is what led me to believe that Boba Fett was a smaller story point in Mandalorian. They probably sat down as they were breaking out season two and three after season one was so successful and said, how can we spin this stuff off? And they said, oh, we could actually take this piece and make it a little series here and this piece and make it a thing here. And Rangers of the New Republic and Cara Dune was one of those things when they just decided, eh, we don't want to get into this Gina Carano stuff. Yeah. Um, And they'll just stuff those pieces back into Mandalorian. You know, one thing that could be said about the show is it, 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 you know, we made the joke that it closes the book of Boba Fett, but I don't really think it leaves many threads open. Like I don't usually with the speculation at the end of a season, I have tons of things to ask you guys. And this time around, I I really don't. There's really like, do do you have any, anything to speculate about the future? Um, I, I really think the biggest stuff is Mandalorian, not Boba Fett. Yeah. But I guess I've never been that curious about Boba Fett outside the context of his status as a clone and his struggle with that. And Boba Fett, I, like... It, oh, we were wrong about that. Yeah. Brian, we, we um, both predicted that he was going to come close uh, head-to-head or face-to-face with uh, one of the clone versions of himself. And but that didn't happen. T- letting him give up 
Tatooine here puts him in a position that he could do that on Ahsoka if she's still in contact with Rex. Yeah. Yeah, I think it's still possible too. Yeah. Good call. Okay. Oh, uh, could you imagine if he's in if they if they announce him for the Ahsoka show, they don't even need to say what it is because it's like, oh, he could be Boba Fett, but he could be Rex. But they don't even announce people, Brian. They they just show up on the Star Wars shows. I don't I don't even know how how they pull it off. Maybe it's because they're shooting in Manhattan Beach and there's it's so you know, it's not that far away from Hollywood, but it's far enough that like people just don't see who's coming and going and they don't need to announce casting. But uh, it's also interesting because uh, we mentioned earlier that the Obi-Wan show debuts a day before Star Wars Celebration. So maybe that's one last thing we could speculate on. If What are we going to see at Star Wars Celebration? Are we going to hear any announcements? Are we going to get any previews of anything? What, what do you guys think? I imagine they'll probably play the second episode of Obi-Wan for fans ahead of the premiere on Disney+. Plus. Yeah. Um, I bet they'll at least announce one or two more shows, but I think the big thing for this celebration is going to be announcing uh, their what what the official path is for for movies from here on out. I think we'll also get some Andor. Um, I think that they'll they'll do that. There's some there's some soft rumors now that it's picked up for a second season, but that's kind of been on the table from the get go when they said like Alan Tudyk's in it, and he's like, uh, I'm not in it yet. I'll be in it next season. And they're like, is there going to be a next season? Um, uh, but uh, what do you what, think? What? Um, I mean, Brad said that they're going to announce their movie Slater, their plan, their strategy for movies. I feel like if they don't announce that it's, it's going to be looked at as like trouble. Yeah, for sure. Well, let's be honest, though. Like, the internet says that anything they announce or don't <laughs> announce is trouble. Yeah. And I heard I heard Pablo just got fired again. <laughs> um, you know, like, there people were going to read be, way too clear, far into the Be TV clear, age. Pablo is not fired. He just didn't have Lucasfilm on his Twitter bio or something like that. And then people reported it or something. I don't know. He still works there. I think it was his anniversary last week or something. Yeah. Um, but... You know, I think I think they're going to say something. They're going to have some big announcement. We're going to see some footage or trailers or they're going to announce something that's going to be ridiculous. Um, and we're probably going to find out what movie is coming next more than anything. I think that's what people are really antsy about. I hope more than anything, they give us an update on Ryan Johnson's trilogy, which he's still ardently working on, according to him on Twitter as much as you hear reported every week that it's canceled. Brian. What? Do you what? honestly believe that Ryan Johnson is working on a trilogy of star Wars movies right now? Yes. Really? Uh, I think that, well, I think he took time off to work on knives out, but yes, uh, he is in development on his movies. And the plan from the very beginning was that it was going to be far in the future as soon as he got through some of his own projects i don't like well i want to be clear i'm not suggesting that because some people didn't like last jedi that he was fired from these like whatever i'm not suggesting anything like that i'm suggesting that if i was ryan johnson a beloved uh auteur director and i had to deal with the 
the shit that he's had to deal with because of Last Jedi, that I probably wouldn't be interested in making these Star Wars movies anymore. I'd probably be interested, like, look, I can make Knives Out movies, and people will, like, I don't get shit for making Knives Out movies. I I don't, I, like, I, I don't know, like, in in my conversations with him online or even um, in interviews and stuff, like, even after the experience of that, he just has this infectious love of storytelling in Star Wars. And I would, you know, he, he directed one of the biggest movies in history is Star Wars. And I think personally that people, even people who hated Last Jedi would love the storytelling quality that he would bring to Star Wars um, in an original story. I think that Ryan Johnson may still be like invested in making those star Wars movies. I don't think that they're going to happen anytime soon. If only because I think that Lucasfilm probably knows if they were to come out the gate with Ryan Johnson's trilogy, that probably wouldn't be like as celebrated as it would be for doing almost anything else just because of the backlash from those very vocal fans. But I think that you think it could still happen. Yeah, I think it can still happen. I, I think he's going to be busy doing some other stuff for a while because I mean, he did just strike a huge deal with Netflix for not, not just knives out two, but knives out three. And I think that that might be his priority right now, but I'm sure it's something that he's, you know, constantly thinking about, even if it's not something that is like in active development or anything like that. Like I, I get the impression that like, he's still working on it in the background just noodling around with it, hanging out with, with, you know, those guys. And from Kathleen Kennedy's perspective, from Lucasfilm's perspective, his was the one production that wasn't troubled. Right. Yeah. Like he had a very clear vision. The licensing and marketing folks had everything they needed like years in advance. Um, they didn't have any problems with needing to like go back and do all kinds of extra reshoots because he was very confident about the vision of his movie. He's exactly the sort of director a producer wants making those movies. Oh, I don't think there's any hesitation on their part of yeah. wanting him to do more. I I just, I don't know. I, 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 I guess feel like I, if like, I was Brian Johnson, I would be like, you know, I'll do some other stuff because life is not worth <laughs> the death threats that he gets over. Every, do you know what I mean? Like it's at some point, I mean, it's not like, worth it. I, you know, I, I got, I mean, I didn't get the level of vitriol that Ryan Johnson got, but I definitely got those last Jedi fans like harassing me and making videos about me for a year or so. And I kind of wanted to, I maybe, maybe smite spite is a better motivator for me, but I, I wanted to like do more work in star Wars just to spite those people. Um, you know, with just being successful, not even like ripping into them or anything, but just like, uh, you know what, I'm going to live my best life and I'm going to keep doing stuff in this sandbox. Um, and I could see Ryan Johnson being very much in the same mode, like, uh, I'll just prove these guys wrong. And at the point where it's been reported that he's quit so much or that he's been <laughs> fired so much, like there's got to be a level of satisfaction to know that you're not fired and keep working on it. Yeah, for sure. Okay, we've gone over two hours, guys. Uh, we need to wrap this up. Uh, where can we find more of your work online, Brian? Uh, you can find me at uh, swankmotron.com is my website. I do the reviews on Slash Film. I'm going to keep writing Star Wars-y stuff for Slash Film uh, you know, in the future, as, as far as I know. Um, 
And uh, you can find me on Twitter at SwankMotron as well. And if you like hearing me talk about Star Wars, I do it every week on the Full of Sith Star Wars podcast. Cool. You can find more of me and Brad at Slashfilm.com. You can find this podcast on Apple, Google, Overcast, Spotify, all the popular podcast apps. Please send your feedback, questions, comments, concerns to us at Peter And please rate and read this podcast on Apple Podcasts. Tell your friends, spread the word. We'll see you tomorrow. <laughs>